it's like the French, you know, they bake their baguettes fresh every day. Well, a lot of Arcadians still do, in fact, bake their bannocks once or twice a day. They're fresh every day, and it's just a tradition. Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. Visiting Orkney for the Science Festival and Foraging Fortnight has been so interesting, but one of the highlights is the Barony Mill in Bursey, where the ancient bear meal is still ground in the traditional way. Liz Ashworth, the author of The Book of Bear, took me to visit the mill. The mill was built as a cooperative uh, by the local farmers and the local community and they actually managed to do it in a year. And it was the biggest building in the area, so they used it not only for milling, but it was used for dances and weddings and all sorts. So there's a lovely history with the mill. You must be Ellen. Hi, Ellen. (laughs) We're here for a tour of this beautiful mill. Mm -hmm. So um, to start off with, this mill was built in 1873 and the first miller here was a man called William Hepburn and we've had a lot of millers since then. So what we do is we grow our grain over the summer and around end of August, September time is when we begin to harvest the grain. Um, And we take it in as just the grain and the first thing we need to do is dry the grain. So how it works is the farmers take the grain and they dry it down to 15% moisture and then they give it to us. So that means that the grain doesn't germinate and we then dry the grain down to 8% moisture. Um, We have our grain here with the husk on. And what we do after drying is we want to take the outside husk off, so the outer shell, and that's done by milling stones. Like the milling stones that are outside? Yes. Those great big wheels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have three different sets of milling stones. We have the shilling stones, we have the oatmeal stones, and we have the bare meal stones. And for bare, it goes through all three of those stones. So here in these little containers, you've got the husks off. Do you use the this sort of shedding of husk for anything yeah so these husks we keep them and we then burn them and this creates heat for what we call the kiln and that's where we're able to dry our grain Uh yeah so after we take the husks off we have our clean grain we then mill it down into what we call grap and this is just much uh, smaller grain it's much coarser and we then mill this down into the final bare meal product so the fine flour so we have our fine, our medium and our coarse bare meal. We mostly sell the medium and coarse to the bakers to make, you know, bread, biscuits and things. And we sell our fine bare meal to the public, basically. When you medium's quite a good one for the public to use in bread and, and scones and things because it makes it much lighter because the fine bare meal can make it quite dense. They all add flavour and nutrition anyway. They're really good. Well, in your book, you've got loads of recipes so you can keep people right. I'm going to buy some at the end so you can all advise me on on the right one to use. So where are we going, Ellen? So we'll go through to this room here. So here is the fireplace and this is where we burn the husks. Um, In the wintertime, the miller will sit here and he'll feed the husks on until the kiln is about 30 to 35 degrees. Is this the original kiln? It sort of feels like it is. Yeah, it's completely original. Everything in this mill has basically stayed the same since 1873. It's almost like you've got a functioning museum, Mm -hmm. really. 
So um, we just burn the husks here. We don't burn any peat, coal or wood. And this is because we don't want to flavour the grain because in distillery they'll often use peat and this will flavour the grain, whereas we want to keep our natural bare meal taste. You can also see this basket over here. They would put the grain and the husks in the basket. They would then chuck the basket up in the air so the husks would come up and the wind would take the husks and blow them away. Uh -huh. So that was the old way of getting rid of the husks. This barley is basically Neolithic barley. There's universities that managed to trace it back and it's 98% the same grain as it was 5,000 years ago. Bear, uh, it's got that very unique flavour, that's why people like it, but it's very low in gluten, very high in fibre and protein and very, very low in sodium and salt. So it's very healthy for you, but I think the main thing would be the taste. And it's, uh, it was an Arcadian diet. They would use it for their bear bannocks and put it just in everything. But in your book, the book of Bear, you actually talk about the history of yes, it and yes. that you can it can be traced back to the Fertile Crescent. It can, and the Neolithic farmers gradually, as they moved and cultivated more land, it moved outwards across Europe and eventually, obviously, to, to Britain and to Scotland. But at one time, it was the staple grain. And there's lots of place names like Bear's Den, Bear That Out. Oh, yes. <laughs> But one thing I would like to point out, the difference between the modern barley that they use for malting and the beer barley is that a malting barley is two-row barley and the beer barley is six-row barley and it's different. It also has a much higher stock on it and the, the, the skegs, as they call them, the beard, is very, very rough and you wouldn't want to get it in your carpet because you'd never, ever get it out. The other problem with beer is that it lodges very easily, so that means it breaks, so it gets flattened easily, so sometimes it can be difficult to harvest. But why has it remained here in Orkney and you don't find it so much in other parts of Scotland? I think the reason was that uh, the more modern crops, the more modern barley and the oats and things, they were easier to grow. It remained in Orkney and it did actually remain in Shetland because at one time there were over 50 mills in Orkney. Another thing that uh, I think is interesting about Orkney is that it's like the French, you know, they bake their baguettes fresh every day. Well, a lot of Arcadians still do, in fact, bake their bannocks once or twice a day. They're fresh every day, and it's just a tradition. Would you agree with that, Ellen? Yeah, definitely. Growing up, my granny would bake them every day, and if you had them the second day, they'd be pretty hard they'd be like a frisbee so you need to have them fresh but um definitely i would say still to this day a lot of people do bake them every single day so these are our three different milling stones here uh encased in the wood and this is original we still use them today this is exactly how they and were the in 1873 it's just beautiful isn't mm. it that's wonderful i bet that adds to the flavor yeah definitely i think so <laughs> I always think when they open the sluice gate and the whole place, it seems to come to life. It's almost like Strictly Come Dancing. It's as if, it, <laughs> if the mill's jigging. It's just amazing, isn't it? Did you feel like a vibration yes, as well? Yes. Yeah, on the, through and the floorboards. It's a wonderful noise, a wonderful thrumming noise. So it's not working just now? No. When, how often is it working? So after we harvest and we get all of the grain in, that's when we start milling. So that's about end of September and we then close the mill to the public so we have no tours or anything like that. And our miller, Ali, he mills from the end of September until about April time. We then have a few weeks where we clean the mill up because it's obviously very, very dusty with all the flour 
And usually about the start of May is when we open up for the tourist season then to let everybody see the mill. Gosh, poor tourists who come in the winter. <laughs> so when our grain comes in, uh, it's in big bags and we obviously need to take it right upstairs. But they're too heavy to take up the actual stairs. So we have a hoist. So we have trap doors in the floors and a rope comes down. And connected to it as a chain. We then wrap the chain around the top of the bag and hook it on so it's uh, secure. We then go upstairs and there's a handle that you can pull and you basically turn the water wheel on to engage everything. You pull the handle and this brings the bag up from the bottom floor through both the trap doors and right to the top floor. Gosh, was that actually how that was also in the past? Because I just always have images of pictures through history of poor men carrying <laughs> heavy bundles on their backs so they're almost <laughs> crippled but that actually was how it was happening here. Yeah, so we have an older mill next door and it's kind of several different buildings, whereas we've got quite a tall building and that's because we use gravity a lot of the time and we use our hoist. So this is always how it's been done in our mill, but definitely in other mills, I don't think they had the luxury of a hoist. They were kind of bringing it around by themselves. So we're on the middle floor right now and on the top floor we have our kiln and that's where we dry all of the grain. But when the grain is dried, we have one tonne in there. So we're not going to make the miller go in there and bag it up by hand because that would just take too long. So what he does is he has a shovel and he scrapes all the grain down two chutes and it falls into the middle floor into the two hoppers here. So this is one of our hoppers and we have two hooks. So we hook a bag on and then above that there's a small door. So you lift the door up and all the grain comes pouring out into the bag then. So it's just using gravity, which is much more efficient than if the miller had to do it by himself. You have to be pretty quick then to hook another bag on. Are you sort of always there replacing the bag? Yeah, definitely. You have to be... Um, so he obviously closes the door each time, so you have to make sure you don't overfill the bags. <laughs> this is one of the tools that they would have used to dress the stones. Is that what they call a mill pick or something? Yes, yeah, so yeah. Um, softer stones uh, would need to have grooves cut into them so they had a harder face so they were able to grind the stones. So it's almost like kind of a hammer and chisel and they would just cut the grooves into the stone. Beautiful piece of wood. It's quite heavy as well, yeah, isn't it? News. If you think of it, all the generations of millers have used that. Yeah, it's got that lovely, yeah. lovely feel when you've lovely. had hands using it for generations. Oh. Do you know this, that the miller had to buy his own stones? Yes, yes, I've heard about this. Yeah. Uh, especially, we have a stone called a French burr, and this is from France. It's used in the oatmeal stone, and it's a very, very hard stone. Um, I've heard, I'm not sure if it's actually true, but that stone would have cost the miller three years' wages. That's right. And he needed yeah. two of those stones, because you have one on the bottom and one on the top. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever heard of the saying, a millstone around your neck, oh, that's yes. where that comes, that from. comes from. Yeah, about carrying all yeah, that debt. But yeah. also, do you know the story about them rolling the millstones? No, I don't think well, so. Well, they couldn't put the millstone in the back of a, a horse and cart because the weight of the millstone would have lifted the horse off the off, the, <laughs> off its feet. <laughs> Real so what they used to do was they had a, they made like a harness for the horse and then they put a pole through the centre of the the millstone, and there were men at each side and the horse pulled it uphill. But then when they were going down the hill, they had to put the horse in reverse. They had to have the stone going down the hill turned the horse round so that they could stop it rolling down too fast in case it rolled away from them. We'll head upstairs again. A 
trap door. <laughs> so here we're at the top floor, the top trap door, and we have just a rope here with a handle on it. And this is the handle that you'll pull down to then let this rope coil up here and bring the bag up through the doors. So all of this connects to the water wheel right downstairs. But we bring our bag up and we bring them all over into the kiln so the grain can then be dried. So we would bring one tonne worth of bags in here and we'd spread the grain around the whole floor. Um, and the fire below us, so it's just down there, that's where we'd be burning our husks to create the heat to dry the grain. So in total, it takes about five or six hours to dry the whole batch and then the miller is ready to take it out. So we are now two floors up and we're actually looking through a kind of see-through floor and we can see the fire that you showed us right at the beginning that somebody sits there and puts all the husks into. That's quite a distance and it's literally just smoke that's coming here, just smoke filling this room. Yeah, so the smoke isn't actually too bad in here. Uh, we do have our chimney up there so all the smoke just kind of goes right through to the top. Um, but the husks luckily don't produce too much smoke because we don't want to actually smoke the grain. And these walls are just hundreds of years of that smoke yeah. just settling on it. Sweet Heap, have you heard about that? No, I haven't. Well, Sweet Heap is when they take the grain and damp it and malt it to make their own ale. They were, well, they did some experiments in here and Ray Phillips, who was the late miller, told me his father used to do it as well. And they used to keep their yeast in the burn to stop it fermenting until they were ready. And they would put what they called a pig in the middle of the pile of grain and it was obviously had hot water or something in it to keep it warm. And then eventually it would start to ferment and they malted their own grain because you see they brewed beer all the time to to drink because the water wasn't good or well. That was, was that, the excuse. Well, the women were known for brewing ale and it was beer that they used. We dry the grain for about five or six hours, but every hour then the miller comes and turns the grain over because obviously in the middle it's going to dry a little bit quicker than it does at the outside. So on a drying day, the miller doesn't do any sort of milling the grain. He just is sitting at the fire, putting the husks on and coming up every hour and turning the grain because flour is quite explosive. And obviously if we've got a fire going, that's just a risk. So we never, we always on a drying day, we're just soon drying. Mm. So how many people are actually working in here when, when it's in operation? So Ali is our miller and he's basically the main person here. He does pretty much everything by himself. If he's lifting bags up the hoist, he'll maybe have somebody on the bottom floor hooking the bags and he'll unhook the bags. But apart from that, he's kind of doing everything by himself. It just saves him running up and down the stairs. So how many bags would fill this? Uh, we bring up 50 bags and that equals one tonne in here. So we've kind of been expanding how much we're growing every year. This year we're growing 83 acres of bear and you get roughly one tonne to the acre. So we're hoping to get about 80 tonnes of bear. And 60 tonne of that is going to come into the mill for bear meal. And we then put it out to the local shops and even down in Scotland and England we're selling our flour. And what happens to the remaining perhaps 20 tonnes? So this year 20 tonne of it is going into malt and distillery. The James Hutton Institute and various other research places realise it's got implications for crops that could help to develop more nutritious crops that have got more goodness in them to help with the shortage of food in the world and also they've done a lot of analysis on the bear. There's a story that connects this mill and bear meal to St Magnus Cathedral. 
That's right, yes. Um, can we read the bit from the book? It'd be much easier. Yes. <laughs> we'll do it downstairs. Yes. So how we start the water wheel is we have a loch just over the road where we get all of our water from, Boardhouse Loch. It then comes into a small pond and then down the mill race here. Um, we've got what we call an overshot wheel, so the water comes from the top and over the top of the wheel. And all we need to do to start it is push this lever down. So what we've just done there, it's kind of like lowering a drawbridge, that's how I imagine it. So before the water was coming and falling before the wheel, we then lifted this lever to close that gap so the water can go over the top and over the top of the wheel. So right now the first few buckets are just filling up on the wheel and in about a minute and a half we'll hear a big clunk and that'll be the wheel starting to go. So this is the stone that turns here so you can go near it if you'd like. Our grain actually falls down from the floor above and to get it to go into the stone we do this. So we just move something over to then shake the grain in. So you can see here at the uh, back, this is where all of the water was falling before, when the wheel was off. You can see the lever up there, so we pulled it up to close the gap so the water could run over the top of the wheel. And this wheel, the steel frame of it, is actually original from 1873. But the buckets are made of wood, so they do get replaced every so often. It then goes into this stream here and it then just goes straight out to sea. These shortbread style biscuits are lovely and crunchy, yeah. very Moorish. I can, I can certainly see me having that with my coffee mm. and a, maybe a, a whiskey or two. Mm. Mm. You have a lady to introduce us to. Oh, yeah. sorry, I'm mm. Margaret, this is dreadful. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to Margaret Phillips. Margaret's late husband was a miller here for many years and it was Ray and I that wrote this book together. In fact, if it hadn't been for Ray, the book would never have got written. No, it was Hello. lovely to meet you. Nice and, to meet you too. And so do you pop back in here from time to time? I do. Just so as I keep connection with it. And I use quite a lot of bear meal, so <laughs> and I need the oatmeal for me porridge too, so <laughs> yes, and, I keep coming. And Margaret's also our demonstrator, so when we have film crews in, Margaret comes in and bakes bannocks here, live in the mill. Oh, that's yeah, lovely. They're not give me much peace, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you've got the, the, the real story to tell. I mean, you're, you're living and breathing bear meal. I breathe a lot of it, yes. It seemed to come, uh, this cloud would appear in the host along with Ray when he was coming for the mill, yes. <laughs> what was his day like when it was the actual milling time? Well, would he be here from early morning until late at night? He would be up and down, uh, kind of, yeah. When he, when he was drying it, he would... Uh, get up in the middle of the night and come down and turn sometimes when it was in the kill. But, uh, yeah, he, and, and sometimes he would be down here all day and I wouldn't see him until eventually if he came past the house to go to the shed for something, I would grab him and give him something to eat. <laughs> <laughs> he must have spent a big chunk of his time here then, you know, because that would be a seven-day... 
a week. Well, it could be, yes. And then there were spells where, you know, in between. You were not mulling the whole time, so he was supposed to be retired because he'd already done 30 years in lighthouse service. His father and grandfather were millers here, so he'd grown up with it. So. Gosh, it's a real family business. <laughs> and you live just along the well, road? Just across the road. Well, yes, she's a piece of this mill. You have to hold on she to is. her. She's and a special gem. Every bag carries <laughs> a bit of Margaret because her recipe for her fabulous spare bannocks feature in the back of every bag of flour. <laughs> Hoping they turn out right at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read us a little something from your book, well, Liz. Yes, it's actually about St Magnus Cathedral. And it was beer that mostly helped to finance St Magnus Cathedral. And this is just a wee bit. Uh, St Magnus Cathedral was founded in 1137 to honour Magnus by his nephew, Earl Rognevald. And he immediately began a long-term fundraising campaign to support the project. And one of the first things he did was... He sold the Orkney landowners the Udall rights to their estates and that enabled them to start growing more grain because Orkney was the, really the breadbasket. The grain was really sought after all over. There's a quote here. It would not be inaccurate to say that Orkney played a role in the North Sea similar to that played by Venice and other mighty Italian republics in the Mediterranean because they had such a thriving export trade. The Hanseatic merchants came from all over and one of the main things that they came for was the beer because everyone ate beer at that time and Orkney beer was very prized and very sought after. So in a way, it fed the workers that built the cathedral, it fed the visitors and it financed it. It's amazing. Interesting, yeah. yeah. The charity that runs the mill took it over when? In 1997. It had been standing unused for a number of years before that. The previous miller had vacated the place. He'd had a lease with the local authority and he left and there was n- nothing happening. Ray came back to the parish to retire and along with a couple of previous trustees, they decided that it was too important for the mill not to operate and far too important for the community not to have access to beer. So they set up the trust and began to run the mill. And since then we've gone from strength to strength. And in the last two years, with the help of Historic Environment Scotland, we've trained a new miller. And he's first full-time employee for a long, long time. And he's in the process of hopefully training our next um, craft fellow, which we hope will start later this month. And that's to be a young lady called Karen Budge. I have a scientific background, so for me it's really wonderful to be part of the traditional uh, method, you know, the uh, actually using your hands. And uh, I studied climate warming in Switzerland, and obviously it's a huge problem. And to be in the mill where we have the sustainable process, uh, where we're, you know, where we don't have to bring in extra energy, we don't have any waste. So it's really wonderful just to be here, to be part of the history. Over the last few years, as we have begun to promote the mill and promote beer more, the younger farmers in the parish have really got on board and we now have six younger farmers growing beer for the mill. And that's a generational change, whereas before they were only growing modern-day barley to feed cattle, they're now growing ancient beer to bring back to the mill. Interesting. And you were saying that Cleopatra ate beer. Yes, Tutankhamun. The Roman gladiators were known as hordiari men because they ate beer barley and a vegetarian diet and they attributed their strength to that. But I found a quote which I think is very, very apt. 
It seems that bear has been saved from the brink of extinction and those precious grains left by our ancestors all those years ago may give us some tangible benefits today in supporting rural communities, human health and environmental and agricultural sustainability. Well, I think on that note, I would certainly suggest to anyone that comes to Orkney to come to visit the mill and to buy bear meal wherever they can because they can at least get Margaret's recipe for a jolly good bannock and to 